You're listening to episode 76 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today is episode three of the Chat About Children Thriving Kids series. Now this series basically has five previous episodes and we have reproduced and condensed each of them so that we've put together the golden nuggets of information into one beautifully tightly packed episode for you. Of course, you can still access our show notes at chataboutchildren.com. Now today's episode is all about how we go about strengthening children's emotional well-being. Now, when you think about it, strengthening children's emotional well-being is essentially, it's a life skill. As adults, we've got to work on it ourselves too. And you'll find that in this episode, it will also help you as well as your own child, children, or the children that you work with. Now, Julia Pappas is a psychologist and a parent coach, and she actually joined me in the last episode of this Thriving Kids series because in that episode, she really introduced us to how emotional development occurs in children. So if you haven't had a chance to tune into that one, I highly encourage you to do so. Okay, well, without further ado, let's get this episode started with Julia And all of us will benefit in learning how we can strengthen children's emotional well-being. Julia, welcome to Chat About Children once again. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here again. Thank you. Julia, we today are chatting about or continuing our chat about emotional development and emotional well-being. And last episode, we had a wonderful chat. It really was quite insightful and super valuable for listeners to get a bit of an introduction around what emotions are, around emotional development, and also looking at what we call emotional regulation. And they're kind of the the building blocks or the foundation skills that we need to function uh, appropriately and to, I guess, lead hopefully, resilient emotional um, (laughs) strategies or use resilient emotional strategies within our everyday life. So today, part two, Julia, we're talking about strengthening emotional well-being. It is just such a crucial life skill. So what would be, just if you can name a few of the common issues that parents will come to you with? So again, we talked last time about social emotional, right? So there is a social component. So my child would not share or doesn't want to participate in something. So sometimes the challenges might have occurred earlier, but it isn't until the child is in a different environment around other peers or other adults that the challenge begins to be more visible. And so it's in those contexts that I'm hearing things like that. Doesn't share or maybe there's some aggression, you know, so again, kind of escalation of feelings, my child wouldn't calm down, you know, if it's child that's older, maybe middle school, adolescence, kind of high school years, um, things like walking away, being rude, slamming doors, you name it, Sonia, really, it's anything where the parent is anticipating a different reaction or expecting um, the child to regulate, even if the reaction is appropriate, anger, but being able to regulate rather than escalate, 
is where I'm seeing them asking, what can I do? Like, what's going on here? So it sounds like if I have to summarize a little bit of that, because you've made a bit of a connection here with emotions and behavior, mm-hmm. because what it Would it be fair to say that if a child is struggling with an aspect of their, say, emotional development or their emotional regulation, that that may then translate into a behaviour being demonstrated? And so then an educator or a parent or carer will look at that behaviour and then go, oh, what's going on there? We're getting, say, a a negative behaviour, if we want to call it that. Is, Is that kind of the connection or how an emotional um, difficulty might translate into a behavior that's not appropriate, I guess, in in a particular situation. Absolutely. I'm actually so glad you pointed that out, but it ties to that conversation we had earlier about emotion is an expression of a need. It's a communication device, right? Um, So when it's not heard or understood, not seen, um, it's going to start escalating. So for younger children, it's going to escalate pretty quickly. For older ones, it may take a while. But yes, when it escalates, sometimes it is expressed as a behavior to make it even more visible. Absolutely. I'm so glad you made that connection. Yeah, well, I think it's it's important to almost look at the, I guess, the sequence with some of this. Not so much as, as simply as putting it as cause and effect, but really just going, well, let's look at the behavior as a behavior and let's go backwards from there, analyzing that or observing it from a different viewpoint as opposed to, oh, that child is naughty or, you know, those kinds of things Mm. that can sometimes be thrown around as as a term or a label. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about communication earlier that children communicate from day one. Um, showing emotion is one of, way of communicating, but when children and may not express on their face or with their words what the emotion is, it's very likely that it's going to be seen as a behavior. And the behavior is also a form of communication. That's right. So what are they communicating? Some sort of need, right? Beautiful. So how, how would you define emotional well-being, Julia? It is the ability to experience a range of emotions, different levels of intensity of emotions. So yes, intensity is good. We want to have a range for every feeling we have. A little bit of anxiety to full-blown fear. Those are because, again, emotions are vital for our overall well-being. So we don't want to squash some or replace them because, again, they're messengers about what our needs are. So we do want to keep them. We want to be able to understand what the emotion is and be okay with it. I think the well-being part of it is really being okay with our emotions. And then the second part to that is responding to our needs appropriately, which will then make us feel like, yeah, that, that need was met. When we're able to identify our own feelings accurately, meet the needs appropriately, that's when we feel like emotions have our back. Yes. And we're good with that. And so when we're looking at strengthening emotional well-being, it's almost like if you're following that little framework that you just mentioned there, if if you're following that pathway or you trigger that pathway often enough, that in itself is going to strengthen emotional well-being, right? Absolutely. So what about parents, carers and professionals who work with children and they are questioning a child's emotional well-being? Now, there are going to be some really obvious things that 
will be seen. And for parents, you know, parents know their children, hopefully as well as they, they can to be able to pick up on subtleties very quickly. Mm-hmm. But what could be seen in day to day where it's a bit of a sign or a bit of a flag to say, you know what, I'm actually not so well emotionally. What could be some behaviours or some things that could be observed perhaps that might signal this? For some parents, it's going to be they are picking up on the behavior, some kind of new behavior they're seeing or the intensity the child used to maybe, you know, have fists when they're angry, but now they're throwing things. So that's a different kind of intensity of the behavior because the feeling, the emotion continues to escalate, right? For children who are kind of turning inward with their emotions, it could be that they're seeing withdrawal or some sort of atypical reaction they usually would see from a child. A child who might be more open, more adaptable perhaps, is now a little more hesitant and shy. I hear that sometimes too, you know, my child is not shy, what's happening here? So it's things like that and I think it's really important to know your child and their typical baseline of how they tend to express emotions and how do they tend to behave as well as how does the emotion tend to escalate? I think parents are experts at that, seeing their child and knowing their baseline. Yeah, 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 definitely. So are there any kind of immediate best responses when when you notice something is different? Because I, I know parents can have a different approach and it's going to be different for every child, but you know, could it be that you go, okay, I've observed this today, nothing major, but I've observed a difference and I'll just sit back and observe tomorrow and the next day rather than you know explicitly bringing it up and making it an issue uh you know what are some different uh responses you see going on perhaps with you know some of the families you work with in terms of how to how to respond immediately when when you do notice something is that that balance julia of not making it a big issue if it doesn't need to be but then not ignoring it number one is we don't want to be scared right with what we're seeing yes it's different doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad because like we mentioned earlier the child might be going through a stage and something is different for them and they're readjusting but if things are generally okay and now we're seeing something different we want to keep observing and we really will pick up on when the child is behaving the way we would be thinking that it's appropriate versus when it's not appropriate. And we might be picking up on some clues around that, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. And-, and so really the critical part to this is trying to observe without um, expectation or some sort of attachment to, I need an answer right away. I think I know what's happening or any type of emotional investment on our own end. And what I mean is no matter what we're finding, remembering that we as parents, we're okay. We might have emotions too. We might have needs. All of that is still okay. So whatever we're finding with the child, we're gathering that information completely detached from what it might mean for us. We really have to separate that. Yes. Professionals are good at that, but parents can learn to do that too. Yes, that is a challenge. That leads me to the next question, actually, Julia, because we talked in part one about kind of the link between your parents or carers' emotional well-being um, and their ability to self-regulate their emotions and you know the link between that and, and their child or their children. So there is all that kind of internal pressure and stuff going on. What are your what are your kind of steps of advice or strategy around that? Here's where I would start, right? 
a good parent is not the one that gets it right all the time, every time, and from the, from the get-go. A good parent is the one that keeps learning. Your child not only did not come with a manual, but your child is your child. No one else has a manual for your child. So as long as we are okay learning, okay observing, observation will a lot of the times give us answers as to what might we try next. If it didn't work, we'll try something else. And in the process, continue observing. What else are you learning about the child's behavior? What are they communicating? That's important to remember. The child's behavior and the child's emotions are communication. And what do we want them to learn to do? What skills do we want to see? Have that on the back of our mind. Okay. But we can't teach anything until we understand where the child is coming from. When a parent's feel like they've tried a few things, but either things are not getting better or are getting worse, that would be the time to check in with somebody else. Again, doesn't mean that something tragic is happening. Sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes some fine tuning of an intervention or an approach that the parent has, and you may be good to go. But I do want parents to know that professionals always start at the observation point, data gathering. Um, and so parents can start there as well. Within that, you're also learning and you're getting more tools for your own personal toolkit, like that's what I call it, to then be able to implement in your everyday and with your mm-hmm. child or children. So in yeah. a lot of ways, it's very much about learning and investing in some skills that you can then transfer over you know, a, a period of time. If you're a mum or know a mum who could do with some support, This is an invitation to join the Flourish for Mums four-week self-care program. This weekly program is inspired by the best-selling book, Flourish for Mums, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance, and is led by the fabulous author, Sonia Bestelich. She takes mums on a powerful journey to reconnect with themselves whilst building authentic relationships with fellow mums. Sound like something you want to join? Join our community from anywhere in the world. Mums, it is time for you to flourish. Sign up at flourishformums.com. But let's go back to, um, you mentioned, you know, what are the skills that we're wanting to see? Because there are some kids that often, they just don't, they don't have or haven't learned the ability to understand their emotions. Now we touched on this in part one, but if you're able to give an example of perhaps a child that you've worked with where it was very clear that they were still at a stage where they weren't really understanding or interpreting their own emotions. What did the child present like and how did you assist with that? Let's um, pick an example from the playground, for example. Okay, so you would see maybe a child who is playing in the sandbox, kind of looks okay. Maybe we've missed something because if they're okay and quiet, we don't look over in that direction. But then we see that child on a slide and they are pushing somebody. Pushing and maybe now we have to see like what's the expression. Maybe they're laughing and thinking that they're playing, right? Well, we still have to address that. How are we being safe with friends? If they we see some expression of maybe aggression in their face, in addressing the situation, might talk to the child and say, what is happening? Here's what I'm seeing. What might you be feeling? What might be going on? Um, and so the child may say, Oh, I'm just playing, but you know, you see that they have some sort of aggressiveness about them. 
there's some anger that's being expressed and they're just directing it towards a child. So it may be okay to let the child go and not keep insisting, no, you tell me what you're feeling, because what's important is to have a dialogue, right? So if the child is not open to that, we have made an invitation, but let them go, keep watching. Again, gathering more data, what is happening? Is that child now going after another child or pursuing somebody else? Because that anger that somehow has built up has not been released. And we can catch it now sooner and say, oh, you know what I'm noticing? I'm hearing these sounds, or I'm seeing your hands are like this. So we want to really communicate to the child what we are observing, because now we know that they did not connect with their feeling, right? They didn't tell us, well, I pushed so-and-so because I am angry or whatever was happening. But now we can tell them what we're seeing. We're being their mirror. Would they be able to connect with that? If they're not connecting with that still, we might let them go again, but we've opened the door for that, right? So now we inter, inter, interject or interrupt whatever is about to happen sooner and say, this is what I'm seeing. That's what I mean. Now your face is like this. What's happening? Mm. And then talk to them about the environment. What is it we're seeing? And ask them, what is it you really want? Sometimes that they can tell us. They may not tell us what the emotion is. We may pick up a mod, but we're asking them, what is the need? That's another important piece. Yes. They can tell us what they need. They may not know how they feel. Yes, yeah. because I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of kids in response to say, hey, what's going on, they will give you a bit of a recount of what's occurred, mm -hmm. not necessarily the mm -hmm. emotion that goes with it, or if you were to say why or kind of go into a what I call a high-level question, you'll often get the I don't know. Mm -hmm. And and often for kids, depending on their age and their, their abilities, they often don't know. They often don't actually understand their emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think what you've described there is we're allocating words to match what they're feeling or what's occurred. And that helps them understand themselves mm -hmm. a little more. Sometimes less is more. In strengthening emotional well-being and in increasing emotional vocabulary, often you can you can do this really easily in in the day-to-day -day occurrences that are going on uh, where emotions are not high let's say for example i and i'll use one of my examples went shopping for yogurt with one of my children and they're really excited to have you know a vanilla yogurt a particular vanilla yogurt and when we got to that section of the supermarket they'd sold out my immediate response because i knew hey we might get an emotional outburst here because <laughs> I was so excited. Mm -hmm. So my immediate <laughs> response was, oh, look, they've sold out of all the vanilla yogurts. How frustrating. I know you're disappointed. It's very disappointing, isn't mm -hmm. it? So I've come in with just a few words of here's my response. Oh, that's frustrating. I'm so disappointed. Mm -hmm. You know, by putting labels, a couple of labels in there, that already diffuses somewhat. The, I don't go, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that's going to, you know, but it's just a small example. No, I think those are great examples. Yeah, look, it, yeah. it just adds to what you're huh. saying. And great points you make. Thank you. And, and I think it, um, what you're talking about where you're using those explicit terms is really important. 
yeah, I think sometimes it's just, you know, measuring the situation and less can be more sometimes. And then it helps when you get to the more challenging ones, like the, the situation you've described, where there's safety at risk, perhaps for another child or those things where it gets mm-hmm. more complex. Yes. And there's a lot of the times layered. Yeah, yeah. Complex. So even for an adult, it would be a puzzle to put together, let alone for a child. Yeah. Also, another thing that I was thinking as you were giving that example is we need to separate the teaching like i need to teach the skill from the actual acknowledgement in the moment right this is what i'm seeing i'm just trying to meet your need what is it you need in this moment and again the child may or may not be able to express it but then offering making offers to them to help meet their needs right but that is attending to the child it needs to be separated from the teaching moment the teaching can happen later when the child is like you were saying, they're more available, more calm, or talking about ourselves because the child will never feel defensive if we're talking about our own feelings. Yes. Yes, yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, this, oh, yeah. this got spilled on the floor. Oh, shoot. You know, I'm a little frustrated about that, but it's okay. So we're showing them, yeah, we have feelings too, but we are regulating pretty well because it's okay. Yeah. Now I know what to do. You know why it's okay? Because I'm going to pick a paper towel and I'm going to clean that up. And so we're doing the same for them. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of modeling that response. When we do that immediate kind of emotion response using emotion words, like I said earlier, oh, that's disappointing. That's so frustrating. So there's that immediate acknowledgement of emotion and of feeling. Mm -hmm. That's stage one. And very quickly, the next step is what do we do about Mm -hmm. that? one of the things and and tell me how you work with this but i guess when we're we're talking about having a strong emotional well-being and strengthening or helping our children strengthen their emotional well-being this is something that we're looking at really from an angle julia where we're saying you are in control of your emotions right in the process of practicing how to respond to things better whichever stage you might be up to but in essence we're kind of saying you're in charge, yeah? And you can practice how you can respond to stuff. Yes. So that's that's one mm-hmm. thing. But how hard is it for kids? And I'm thinking about kids, particularly when they get into school and they're, they're in an environment with a lot of kids, with a lot of um, different experiences that they, mm-hmm. they bring with them. It must be so hard for kids to be keeping it cool and calm and collected um, when they're faced with such differences i mean tell me more you work a lot with with kids in this age group (laughs) i love how you just acknowledged the child right how hard this is for them and we all can be so much more supportive of a child if we remember how hard it is it's easy for us to say you know your feelings therefore you should be in control of them no that's a separate skill right knowing your feeling is separate from being able to express it, from being able to regulate, from being able to problem solve what to do. All of those are sequences of skills that need to be taught. And depending on the age, there may be a skill deficit or developmentally, they're not ready for that yet. Just because a child can demonstrate a skill in a smaller environment doesn't mean that they can do the same with peers. That's quite a bit of a journey to go on for a child. So validating that all the time and really asking ourselves, do they truly have the skill to handle what it is expecting them to handle? Yeah. You're really looking at three key components, which is expressing emotion, acknowledging and expressing emotion, 
regulating emotion, problem solving. And they're kind of those core aspects to strengthening emotional well-being. So what, is, what does that mean, right? We need to really point to them. What is, what is the action we, are, we know they can take? And again, we do have to know that they have the skill for it. If they don't, we can again model that for them and say, you know, it looks like you might be feeling this. It's totally okay to feel this when such and such is happening. So we're really acknowledging for them that I'm seeing what you're seeing and it's totally fine, but it's important for us also to understand what is it we're expecting the child to do when we're saying they should be handling this. Are we expecting them not to express emotion? Are we expecting them to express less that emotion or problem solve independently? What is it? Right? Yes that we are setting realistic expectations for our child. And I liked when you said, okay, if, they, if you can't expect yeah. them to, or if they're not at a, at a point where they can express their own emotions, you're going to model that for your child. So that's the first step in strengthening um, their vocabulary or their understanding of their emotions. Um, so for example, if they're frustrated because uh, they lost at a board game, eh, that's a common one, right? Kids get frustrated when they lose games, or they mm -hmm. don't win. Mm -hmm. So, if we use that as an example, if if we've modelled how to respond to that a few times and you're kind of going, okay, I think, you know, little Jack now is able to recall some of that modelling, then you could change your expectation then to go, okay, so what are you feeling? Are you feeling, and then you could give a choice, frustrated or angry, you know, and that helps them to take the next step to make some decisions themselves around how they're feeling and using a word themselves about how they're feeling. So it just starts to slowly, slowly take away that tight framework that a care or educator might have and to have them starting to implement a little bit of their own, their own words or practice their own skills slowly, slowly. What would you suggest as, as some tools that, that would work really beautifully in nurturing kids to strengthen their emotional well-being? Everything you need to support your child is already in your home available in that relationship that you have with your child the problem i'm noticing is xyz write it out to yourself so you kind of capture it and then flip it into what would i like to see instead and that's the beginning steps to deciding on the skills you might want to teach and sometimes you know we may come out with something very general like i want my child to behave better okay what does that actually mean, right? So unpacking that into actual things you can teach. If you cannot teach behaving better, quote unquote, behaving better, what does that look like? That means that it's not specific enough as a skill, right? So getting a little deeper into what would I like my child to be able to do, to express, to show. Okay, now that we have those markers, how might you teach it? And the great um, opportunity here is that the child is a human being just like we are. So again, knowing that behavior and emotions are communication devices, what is it they're trying to communicate? What might be an alternative way for that? And knowing ourselves, how we tend to process emotions, how do we support our own emotional well-being will help us in guiding that process of teaching the child, modeling to the child. Children learn best from other human beings, especially if those other people are people they have relationships with. So what a better place than your family to start that process. Absolutely. And I think, and, and I agree in that 
you know, a lot of, a lot of the learning comes from the relationships, you know, those, the family relationships and the family connection and the quality of time, I guess, in, in nurturing the relationship. That's sort of the real foundation, isn't it, Julia? Yes, absolutely. Because again, if we go back to the previous conversation we had, the beginning stages of regulation is in our ability and the caretaker's ability to hold the child's emotions for them. It's kind of like poop or pee. It just comes out. You know, yeah. it's just biologically necessary. It's going to come out of a child. Sometimes they don't know what to do with it. Um, and so they look at us, you know, oh, I have all of this happening to me. I don't know what it is. It's all over yes. me. Yes. Those are feelings yes. and you are scared or angry or super happy. That's what's happening here. And it's totally okay. There is a way to clean that up and regulate it. Right with yeah. Them. Yeah. That analogy was visually unpretty, but it did make sense. Julia it did make complete <laughs> sense. And it, it, it got the message through. <laughs> it was good. So I'm <laughs> going to extend from that because we've got the foundation, which we've, we've already discussed. And then I kind of look at, well, um, and what might work for our child. And these are things like talking. So talking to someone, that's an obvious one, right? And you've got to have vocabulary to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, for some, they don't, that medium doesn't work. Then there's things like drawing, colouring in, forms of expression that might help uh, mm-hmm. with what I call just regulating, calming the system, a tool yes. for them to create their own calm space. Um, if they're, if it's age appropriate, journaling, writing, things mm-hmm. like books. So much, so yes. much richness is is learnt from children's books. Why it has such an impact on the child is because first of all, if we read stories on a regular basis, that's a familiar practice. And they know it always goes well. There is barely anything that can go wrong in us reading a story to a child. By default, they know that this is a very soothing experience and they're in a very relaxed state of mind. So in that moment, that's the best opportunity for the brain to learn something. Your child is regulated. The heartbeat is regular and slow, right? Everything is good. Yep. And so there's then messages planted in the child's mind, little seeds, and another form of modeling through a story. The character had that and that happened to them. They felt this way. This is what they did about it. How empowering, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and children experiencing or relating to characters within children's books and watching them progress through some of those stages we talked about, you know, expressing emotion or regulating and then problem solving. They're already in, built in, in um, you know, some wonderful children's storybooks. So have you got others that you want to add to that, Julia? No. Something else I would add to that is just being in the presence of somebody who is calm. Yes. So that is we can be that tool for the child. Even if they're having their moment and they're still processing that emotion and they're still in it, as continuing to be calm and composed, knowing that there is nothing wrong with the child, they're doing what they need to do. They're sitting on an emotional toilet. I'm going to go back to that. <laughs> and processing their emotions in the moment. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's okay. So if we can continue around them, going about our business, and everything is calm, that's a way to help them regulate well is one, is one of the small tools, right? 
looks like you're a little bit disappointed. Your friend did not call you back or they didn't share their toy with you. Um, looks like you're a little bit disappointed. Such and such didn't go your way. What did you really want to happen? So we're validating what they needed is okay. And then we attach the emotion to that because we do this, like we're building the connection between saying, this is what's happening for you, acknowledging that, and then, and it's okay to have an emotion about it. So that connection, you needed this, you had an emotion about it, and we can problem solve. That's the teaching steps, right? It's all done through modeling. Yeah, and that's a great example, Julia, because what you've also said with that example, when you've said, what were you wanting to have happen? Mm -hmm. That in itself is having the child immediately become aware of what their perhaps their unknown expectation was and that there was a discrepancy between what they were expecting and what they got and that's then linked to their emotion and that's a huge self-awareness yep. teaching within that. Julia, we have had a great chat. I am so grateful and I know that because you do have so many gems of valuable um, information to share with families and professionals who work with children, you yourself, Julia, have a parenting podcast, Parenting Presence. I'm looking forward to listening to it myself, Julia. So thank you for, for everything uh, that you have shared with us in part one and part two, talking about emotional development and strengthening emotional well-being. It has been an absolute pleasure having you join the Chat About Children podcast. Thank you. A great chat there with Julia Pappas, who always has so much value to share. Now, I would love for you to share this episode with family, friends and with colleagues who you know will benefit. And I would also love for you to leave a rating and a review for the podcast from your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com.